Every Mother's Day, I like to start a new, a new series that runs from Mother's Day to Father's Day in which we talk about family. Uh, but maybe in sort of an atypical type of way, because I don't want to just talk about marriage or parenting, because there's a lot of people here that aren't married or aren't parents. And the church is made up of people that are single and people that are widowed and people that are divorced, people that are parents, people that are married, uh, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, grandparents. And you play a role in whatever family you're in, no matter what size or shape your family is. And this year, we've been talking about the gospel account of John and how John introduces us to Jesus in such a way to say that Jesus is the word. He is the creator come into the world, not only to bring about forgiveness of sins, but to bring about, for those who believe in him, rebirth, being born again, new creation. How when you believe in Jesus, when you center your life on Jesus, when you accept him for who he is and you're reborn by the water and the spirit, you become a little piece of the new creation. And so I couldn't help but think, what if we walked through some of those passages and explored those from the perspective of what that does for our families? You see, when you become a follower of Jesus, when you center your life on Jesus, it changes every relationship that you have. Whether you're a cousin or you're a grandparent or you're a brother or you're a sister or a son or a daughter or a spouse, no matter what role you play in the family, when you follow Jesus... It changes, it changes everything. And, and, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about, is how Jesus changes our life when we reorient everything around him. What if, what if the single most important and defining characteristic of your family was, we believe in Jesus? What would your family look like if the single most important and defining characteristic of your family was, we believe in Jesus? You know, as I think about family in our era, I, I don't know what life was like in another era. No matter how old or young you are, we, we only live in the time period we're in, right? So we don't know what life was like 100 years ago or 200 years ago because we weren't there. But I suspect that family life today is this a little bit more busy, don't you think? I think we tend to be very busy people. And I would, I would hate, what I hope is that never you come to worship and you feel like another thing has been added to your list. Jesus, Jesus doesn't want to make your life harder by becoming just another priority on your long list of priorities. He wants to make your life easier by becoming your sole priority around which everything else revolves. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about. So today, to sort of wrestle with that and think about that, I want to ask you this question. What is your family's bread? I know you don't know what I mean by that, but, but what is your family's bread? In order to kind of answer that question, let's think of these three questions. Number one, for what do you hunger for what do you hunger? What is your family hungry for? And maybe that's hard to answer collectively, like my whole family is hungry for these types of things, but maybe just you as an individual, or as it relates to your family, in your marriage. If you're a married person, for what are you hungry in your, in your marriage? What do you hunger for in your marriage? Or what do you hunger for for your marriage? If you're a parent, 
What do you hunger for in your relationship with your kids? Or what do you hunger for for your kids? If you're a single person and you're looking to get married, what do you hunger for in a spouse? Or if you had to answer and think about as a whole family, I think our family is hungry for X. What is it exactly that your family hungers for? And number two, toward what end are you working? Toward what end are you working as an individual, but even as a collective? In your marriage, if you're married, to what end are you working? What are you working towards in your marriage? What are you working towards for your marriage? In your parenting, if you're a parent, what are you working for in your relationship with your kids? What do you want for them? What are you encouraging them to work towards? Or what if you're a grandparent or you're an aunt or you're an uncle? In any relationship or role that you have in the family, you can think about these things, can't you? For what am I hungry? For what are we hungry? Toward what end am I working? Toward what end as a family are we working? What exactly are we pursuing here? What are our goals? What are we trying to achieve? And then finally, number three, what sustains you from day to day? What gets you through the day? What gets you through the ups? What gets you through the downs? What helps you to make it from one day to the next in spite of some of the things that come up and happen? That is your family's bread. The the things that you're pursuing, what you're working towards, the things that you're hungry for, the things for which you're you're, you're hungry and thirsty, and the things that sustain you from day to day. So again, no matter matter what role you play in the family or whether there's a bunch of people in your home or there's one person in your home, think through this list. If there's one person in your home, it's a little bit easier for you because it's just you. What are you hungry for? What sustains you? What are you working towards? Or as a whole group, what exactly as a family are we working towards? What are we hungry for? What sustains us? In order to think through that, let's look at John chapter 6 and verse 25. In the context... Of course, Jesus has just gotten done feeding the 5,000 people. You know, he fed the 5,000 with the loaves and the fishes. And they, they saw it, and they enjoyed it, and they loved it, and they were full, and they wanted some more food. And so they were trying to find Jesus, and Jesus had sort of disappeared because he went to the other side of the sea, and he was with his disciples. And so the people are looking for him, trying to figure out where did Jesus go. And the text says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, You are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, when you stop and think about it, you think, well, what was the sign? The sign was the loaves, right? So what's the difference between you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves? What's the distinction there? Well, it's because... they. The signs, what was the intention of the signs? Remember every time we've read through an account in John and he calls these miracle signs? It's that a sign points outside of itself towards some other reality, right? That's what a sign does. In this case, the feeding of the 5,000 was supposed to point outside of itself to the identity of Jesus. Who is this one that can feed so many with so little? Who is this man? And Jesus says, you didn't come because that's what you were trying to answer. You came because you wanted more food, right? They weren't seeking more Jesus. They were seeking more bread, right? And I wonder sometimes, is that true of us? Where we want God, not for God's sake. We want Jesus, not for his own sake. 
but for what we think he can give us. We don't want more Jesus. We want more stuff. We want whatever it is that we feel like Jesus can give us. Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Wow, that's a good contrast, isn't it? Now, what's the food that perishes? Don't work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that endures to eternal life. Food that perishes, food that endures. Now, in context, the food that perishes is the, the bread and the fish that they've been eating, right? But he's making more of a general statement here. Don't work for the food that perishes. Food that perishes isn't in and of itself evil or bad. It's not intrinsically wrong. It's just stuff that perishes. So what is it that's in our life, in our family life, that we work for that's food that perishes? Money. Money is food that perishes, isn't it? Fame, popularity, being liked is food that perishes. Health, beauty, food that perishes. Even comfort and happiness is food that perishes. They're not wrong intrinsically. There's nothing wrong with them in and of themselves, but they're temporary. And so here's the question. How much of your family life is consumed by working for food that perishes? How much of your life is consumed by chasing after, going after, working for, pursuing things that perish? You did a lot of work. You came all the way over to the other side of the sea. You're trying to find me, but not because you're seeking something that endures for eternal life. It's because you want more food. And think about the ends to which we go, chasing after money or fame or health or beauty or comfort or happiness. How much of your family life is consumed working for things that perish? So pay attention to what he says. So don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. And so, of course, they ask, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So if we work for food that perishes, we get food that perishes. If we work and do the works of God, we receive the food that endures to eternal life. So how do we, how do, we do that? What sort of work is that? Look at verse 29. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. We, we know how to work for food that perishes, don't we? We know how to work for romantic relationships. We know how to work for money. We know how to work for fame or popularity. We know how to work for health, for beauty, for comfort, or for happiness. But how is it that we go about working for, pursuing the food that lasts to eternal life. What do we do? What did Jesus say? It starts with a B. That you believe in him. Believe in him. That's the work that you do through which God gives you the bread that lasts forever is believe in Jesus. That's why I said in the beginning, Jesus doesn't want to make your life harder by giving you yet another priority to put on your long list of priorities. Jesus wants to make your life easier by becoming your sole priority. This is how you live. Believe in me. This is how you live. 
Verse 30, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. You remember the manna that was on the ground and they'd go out and pick it up. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. That sounds great, right? Bread that lasts, bread that gives life, bread that never goes away. We want that bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. He'll even go on to say, so much so, should my life, should, should I become your life, that even my flesh and my blood you eat and you drink. Our goal in life should be to do this work. Come to him, believe in him, feed on him. Come to him, believe on him, feed on him. And when that happens in us, when we work for the food that endures to eternal life by coming to him and believing in him and feeding on him, then we become new kinds of people and it changes everything. So, what kind, of a, what kind of a transformation would happen if you're married? What kind of transformation would happen in you? What kind of transformation would happen to your marriage? You can't control what your spouse does or doesn't do, but you can control what you do or you don't do. And so what if in your marriage, your highest priority, your sole priority, the thing around which everything else revolves was to come to Jesus and believe in Jesus and feed on Jesus? For Jesus to become your bread. What would happen if Jesus becomes your bread? What happens to your marriage? Imagine, if Jesus is the one you're hungry for, and Jesus is the one you're working for, and Jesus is the one that sustains you day in and day out, imagine how much more love and compassion and mercy you would have to give to your spouse if Jesus was your bread. Imagine if, as a parent, if you're a parent, imagine how your parenting would change if Jesus was your bread. Imagine how much more patience I would have or patience you would have or love or gentleness we would have as parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles when Jesus becomes our bread, the one who sustains us from day to day, the one we're hungry for, the one that we're working for. When Jesus is our bread, it changes every relationship in our life. So that's our moment of truth question. Is your family's bread Jesus? Is Jesus your family's bread. And, and if we're honest with any of these questions, the answer would probably be like, not entirely, right? Not entirely. I wish he was. And some days maybe a little bit or some days a little bit more, but not entirely. We could all, if we're honest, we could all pursue the food that perishes a little less and pursue the food that endures to eternal life, which is Jesus, a little more. And so like in really practical terms, no matter what your role in the family is, whether you're an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent or you're a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister or you're a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad, no matter what your role in the family is, what if we stopped and we thought, what, what could I do this week so that as a family we pursue the food that perishes a little less and the food that endures a little more? What changes could I make? Maybe, it's, maybe it is 
changing the way you, you do your schedule, right? What, what if it is reading the Bible more as a family? I, I know I'm a preacher, and so I'm supposed to have, like, Bible studies with my family, and, you know, and I know I'm supposed to do that, but it's hard for me, too. Do you know that? I mean, it's super hard. On Sunday mornings, we're studying Colossians, and we read in Brother Ian Ferris' class the other day, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, and it just reminded me how rich that passage is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created, and I thought... That's good. My family needs to memorize that. And so I thought every night we're going to sit down and we're going to work on this a little bit more. And I'll tell you, every time we get to Colossians 1, it's like, okay, guys, it's time for that. There's groans and rolling about, and that's just me, you know. So, uh, no, I'm <laughs> kidding. But it's not always easy, and it's hard. Things visible and invisible, whether thrones or rulers or dominions. I mean, that's hard for a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old to memorize. Sometimes it's frustrating, and sometimes we don't have time, but... It's not just about what happens on one day or two days or three days or even a week or two. It's what happens over a lifetime. It's what's the trajectory of your family. Maybe you could break out the Bible a little more and read together a little more. What would happen in your marriage if you sat down with your spouse and you said, listen, I want Jesus to be more the center of our marriage. And what if we read a little bit together each night? Or maybe, maybe just the first step might be a little bit together each week. What if we sat down? Or what if it's just talking more with each other and having more real conversations with each other? What if it's praying more together as a family? What if it's, and I know this is radical, but fasting together as a family? Like somebody came up to me last week and shared with me about a three-day fast he had done recently. And he said, when I was hungry, it reminded me that I was really hungry for God. And I said, that's exactly what fasting is supposed to do. Bring us to our knees. What if there are some changes you can make in your schedule so that Jesus becomes your family's bread or so that more so Jesus is your family's bread? What if it's a matter of cutting some things out of your life that represent the food that perishes? Okay, you know, what what if, I know, again, this is radical, I know, but what if you just turned off politics for a week, okay? You know, things aren't going to fall apart any more than they have, you know? So, I mean, just, it's same with your sports team, right? Whether you're cheering or not, they're probably going to do the same, right? Whether you're at home cheering or not, they're probably going to do the same. Things aren't going to fall apart if you just say, I need a break for a week or a month, and I'm just going to focus on the food that endures to eternal life? What if you took a break from politics or a break from sports or a break from Netflix or a break from whatever it is and you just said, I'm going to focus on Jesus. What might that do for you personally? What might that do for your family? For your family, for your home, whether it's a home of one or a home of 12 or however many are in your home, your home to become a place of new creation where you think different, and you talk different, and you love different, and you forgive different, because Jesus is your bread. He's the one for whom you're hungry. He's the one you're pursuing. He's the one that sustains you day in and day out. Maybe, maybe there's somebody here, and you're ready to begin that journey And make Jesus your bread. Make Jesus your life. Pledge your life to him in baptism. We've had several baptisms over the last few days, including one I hear this morning. I didn't get to be in here, but how exciting. And maybe there's someone else. And you're ready for Jesus to be your life. For him to be the one that sustains you. 
Or maybe, maybe just in all the hustle and bustle, maybe you have pledged your life to Jesus, you've been baptized, you're, you're, you belong to him, but uh, day in and day out, it's hard. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard being a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife. It's hard being single. It's hard being widowed. It's hard being an uncle or an aunt or a grandparent. We need each other to help not only to navigate life, but to lean on each other to help remind each other to let Jesus be the center of all things in our life. And so maybe you need help this morning. Our shepherds in my office after service would love nothing more in the world to sit with you and pray with you and help you in any way they can. Or right now, you have a great opportunity. Come forward as we stand and sing.